0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Christian Ease. This is your host, Drew Fitzgerald, and today's episode is kind of a spiritual, logical, theological successor to the last episode, Praying For You. That episode is all about the importance of prayer, what it is, the different kinds of prayer, and why it really matters that we pray for one another. This episode is all about one specific kind of prayer called supplication, that is, asking God for things supplication is something that God really wants us to do. When we have needs or are in trouble, he wants to be the first place that we run. Now that may sound pretty open and shut, pretty simple. If we have a need, we can pray about it. And God, the King and creator of everything and our good Father will take care of us either by answering our prayers or taking care of us in ways that we didn't expect despite not giving us exactly what we asked for. But it's not really so easy. I mean there's some verses in the Bible that seem to really open the floodgates. In Mark 11:24, Jesus says, "Whatever you ask for, believe you have received it, and it will be yours." Whatever I ask for. Huh. Now this really changes things. This is like the ultimate cheat code to life. Well, I guess if we're asking for things, you know, I'd always wanted. It's season four, episode three. Ask and you shall receive. Everybody prays. Okay, well, not everybody but a lot of bodies pray according to the pew research center 80 percent of americans pray once a month that's across all religious types buddhist hindu christian muslim even atheist and those who don't claim any religion at all and the vast majority of these prayers are asking god for something whether it's a drunk college student leaning over a toilet bowl praying god help me feel better i'll never drink again or someone who's never prayed before who's in serious need asking God for help, even if they don't know who they're crying out to. Prayer is a part of our living experience. When we reach the end of our control, feeling helpless or hopeless in some way, or maybe just a little bit confused, we reach out to God and say, Help! I need you to help me. While a lot of our impulses are completely broken, out of whack, and sinful, our impulse to turn to God when we're in need and to pray is 100% correct. He is the sovereign one in control of all things. Not only that, he hears us when we pray and responds in the way a loving father would if his child asked him for something. In the last episode, we looked at the Lord's Prayer where Jesus taught us how to pray. Not long after that, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, because we live in a capitalist society, we wish— Why are you booing me? We do live in a capitalist society. I'm not trying to say we should be social. Fine, I'll rephrase. All right. Because so many Americans have a business mindset oriented towards consumption... (laughs) uh, That's better. It should come as no surprise that we tend to act transactional when we ask God for something. So our prayers sound like, God, if you do X, then I will do Y. You give me this, I'll give you that. But that is patently not how God works. God is not a sky merchant who gives us good gifts if we can make a sufficient offering to Him. He's the God who made everything, controls everything. Like, there's nothing on earth, there's nothing that you have that He does not already look at and say, Mine. Isaiah 64 verse 5 says, You, meaning God, We're angry because we had violated your commandments continually. How then can we be saved? We are all like one who is unclean. All our so-called righteous acts are like dirty rags in your sight. We all wither like a leaf. Our sins carry us away in the wind. And then in verse 8, Yet, Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are our potter. God doesn't owe us anything, and we really don't have anything to offer him. Any offer that we make is ultimately a dirty rag. It's offensive. So what hope do we have? How can we pray? Because God's our loving father. He's our creator, the potter who made us out of clay and loves us. He wants us to be near to him. Which is why he sent Jesus, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hebrews 1.3 says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory in the very image of his substance. And right after telling people not to worry about their needs, what they would eat, what they would wear, where they would sleep, he says, God hears you when you pray, so ask and it will be given, seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. The Greek verbs for ask, seek, and knock are all present imperative verbs. In other words, it's something that you are commanded to do and keep doing repeatedly. Ask, keep asking. The word also means to beg, to cry out for. Seek, strive after, inquire about, and keep doing so knock and keep knocking. When we come to God like a child, earnestly asking our Father to meet our needs, seeking to learn, or knocking on a door so that we can be with Him, He will respond. But we're not always looking to spend time with God when we pray. There's two truths about prayers. We pray about what we care about, and we pray for what we believe we need most. And in the West, what a lot of us believe we need most is... Now, it is a little bit more complex than that. But in the United States, at least, what we value above anything else is success, or at least appearing successful. That can be looking beautiful, having the right clothes to wear, driving the right sort of car, living in the right kind of house, or having the most perfectly Instagrammable lifestyle. And in our minds, the one key to getting all those things is And because there's no such thing as enough money or enough success, it always feels like there's more for us out there. And when we look at social media or start comparing ourselves to the people around us, we start to find things that it looks like we lack. We feel like we need help because it doesn't seem we're as culturally valuable as everyone else around us. So it's really easy for us to go to God seeking success or material wealth. We're much more concerned about what God can give us rather than being with God. That may feel a little gross to say out loud, but you can find dozens of pastors on social media with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers, who will tell you that the God of the Bible, the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, wants nothing more than to empower you to reach the success that you're dreaming about. I'll let Joyce Meyer, one of the most prominent of these pastors, with over 3.8 million followers on Instagram alone, put it in her own words. But I believe that God wants to say to you tonight, look into the future and what do you see by faith for your life? Can you see yourself being out of debt? Can you see yourself owning your own home? Can you see yourself with a new car? Can you see yourself with a better job? Can you see yourself being a blessing to many, many, many people? Can you see yourself having, can you see yourself living your dream, whatever that dream might be? As long as it's God's dream too, you can live that dream. Can you see it? Jesus died on the cross to save us from our mediocrity, and he inspires us to become our best selves. But this message actually has very little to do with the gospel, and in fact, diverts us away from Jesus. It's the new iteration of the prosperity gospel, championed and developed by televangelists in the 80s and 90s, a remnant of the Word of Faith movement, that actually has a lot more to do with New Age mysticism and Victorian-era occult practices than it does with the Bible. In the mid to late 1800s, there were two powerful religious movements. The first was Pentecostalism, particularly Keswickian theology, which stated that after a person's initial conversion experience to Christianity, they should also experience a second work of God's grace in his or her life. This second blessing or second touch, also known as being filled with the Holy Spirit, would cause them to experience entire sanctification in which a Christian could become less sinful or even sinless. That's the first religious movement. The second movement was the Western society's fascination, if not outright obsession with mysticism and the occult. Seances, visiting mediums or clairvoyance, and even going to watch magical practitioners as entertainment was all the rage in Victorian England and wealthier circles of the United States. One of the major spiritual beliefs that came out of this was the new thought movement, which synchronized a lot of ancient beliefs to claim that God or an infinite intelligence, the universe, whatever you might call it, is everywhere, and his spirit is the reality of all things. And because God is everywhere in everything, then we are divine, and our thoughts can change the world around us. So suffering, pain, sickness, these things are really nothing more than mind over matter. Because if you're divine and your thoughts can change the world, why can't you just change the negative things around you? Your thoughts emanate out into the world and manifest or become embodied or physically real. One of the outworkings of the new thought movement was mesmerism or animal magnetism, which was a belief that some people had powerful spirits beyond everyone else. And with enough effort, they could actually change people's lives their destinies. So on the one hand, there's Protestants who are looking for an additional miraculous blessing from God. And on the other hand is the occult, which believes that people have the divine power to create the world they want to see. One pastor, a man named E.W. Kenyon, blended Keswickian theology with the mysticism of the New Thought Movement, and he came up with this. God heals, but through our manifestation, particularly the power of our faith and the animal magnetism or the powerful spirit at work in the divinely gifted pastor. If you have enough faith, God will make real what you manifest. Ask, and you shall receive. Prayer, then, is a kind of seance of the divine intelligence within us all that connects us to our desires and manifests them in the world around us. E.W. Kenyon mentored a man named Kenneth Hagan, a pastor who is the pioneer of the Word of Faith movement, also known as Name It and Claim It. Well, if you're not satisfied with what you have, quit believing what you're believing and saying what you're saying, and start believing what you want created and saying what you, you, you want done, and it will become. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's praise God. Let's praise God. Because all things are possible to him that believeth. To him that believeth. To him that believeth. All things are possible to him that believeth. All things are possible. Now, you may never have heard of Kenneth Hagin, but you probably have heard of those that have come in his wake. Men like Benny Hinn, who, when he's not miraculously healing people from diseases on stage, says things like this. Our vision has to change. It's all about vision. When it comes to prosperity, I'm telling you, I feel the anointing talking about it. When it comes to prosperity or anything we receive from the Lord, it's our vision that matters. It's our vision that matters. We are a heavenly people with a heavenly vision. Then there's Kenneth Copeland, who, when he's not binding and ending COVID-19 by the power of his word, I execute- is reminding his followers that they are divine and able to bring their words into reality. See, Abraham, like God, in God's face, before him, like him, he called things that be not as though they were, just like God. Amen. I'm fully persuaded. He's able to do what he promised. Amen. Amen. So I put it in my heart and I put it in my mouth. Praise God. I declare it's mine. And I call things to be not as though they were. Then there's Joel Osteen. It's not enough to just pray about it. You need to speak to it. Prophesy to those dead bones. Call in health. Call in abundance. Call in restoration. Interestingly enough, this heritage of mysticism lives on today in the inspirational pastors of Instagram, a lot of whom you can find on the Preachers and Sneakers feed. Just listen to this clip of Stephen Furtick and see if you can't spot the New Age mysticism. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. When God said, I am to Moses, you know, my name is, I am. He was trying to get him to see, you are when God sees you, he sees himself." You are a little god. Your faith gives you the power to do things that you never thought possible and to grant every wish and desire of your heart. It might seem innocuous, but that's insidious. The idea that we can harness God's power to create the world that we dream about and that we want? I don't use this word lightly. But it's blasphemous. Because instead of recognizing the one who says, I am, we are setting ourselves up before God in his face and saying, Yeah, I am too. What was the sin in the Garden of Eden? That Adam and Eve wanted to be like God. That's what's at the root of this prosperity movement. That we, want to have the power of God to change our lives. And that God ultimately is the point of worship because he is useful to our lives. He gives us the power we need to reach our ends. And this message is so entrenched in American evangelical culture that I kind of doubt a lot of these pastors or teachers recognize what they are teaching actually comes from New Age mysticism rather than the Bible. Sure, they wrap it up in biblical clothing, but it's not true. It turns us away from seeing God as an end in and of himself, that he is our portion, to he is our power to get our portion. It turns us away from the power of the cross, that Jesus is enough, to I will have enough if Jesus gives me what I want. It assumes that what I want is what God wants for me, but completely ignores the fact that what I want Might actually be an idol, something I worship other than God. And do we really think that God will encourage our idolatry? On top of all of this, it is not inspirational or hopeful. It is callous and cruel. Because the people listening to those pastors sitting in those pews have actual health issues, have actual difficult finance issues, have problems in their family. And when they don't see those situations changing, the message that they receive is that your faith is too weak. This would change if only you believed a little bit more. In short, it's your fault. God is not distant. He's not holding out on us, and he's not waiting on us to just muster up some sort of internal feeling so that he can give us the good gifts that he has. We all pray for what we care about, and we pray about what we think we need the most. And if what we pray about is material wealth and monetary success, then our cares are too small and our wants are too little. Because what does it profit a man to gain the world but to lose his soul? Let me share some good news with you. God is not a piñata that if we can just hit it with the right prayer will burst open into gifts for us. He's your Creator, your loving Father, who, even though we have nothing to offer Him, still loves us and wants to be with us. He's already given you far more than you could ever deserve or earn in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. And what are these heavenly blessings? The following verses tell us, He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to adoption as His legal heirs through Jesus according to the pleasure of His will. He freely bestowed on us His dearly loved Son. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our offenses according to the riches of His grace that He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. In Christ we have also been claimed as God's own possession And when we believed in Jesus, we were marked with a seal of the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a down payment of our heavenly inheritance until we are fully redeemed when Christ returns. You've been chosen, a gift bestowed and grace lavished upon you, been claimed, sealed, and have a down payment of eternal inheritance. On top of this, Jesus says at the end of Matthew 6, during the Sermon on the Mount, don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink about your body or what you will wear seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things your needs will be added to you God loves you he promises to take care of you are you confused and you need God's wisdom to help with the decision James 1 5 promises that when we ask God for wisdom he will give it to us are you anxious worried God promises to give us the peace that goes beyond all understanding when we make our requests known to him. Do you need grace or mercy from God? Hebrews chapter four says, we can boldly approach God's throne, asking for as much grace and mercy as we need, whenever we need it, and Jesus will give it to us in abundance. Prosperity is too small. Philippians four verses 11 through 13 says, the secret to living is contentment no matter what your circumstances are. Paul says he learned how to be satisfied whether he was hungry or full, had plenty or nothing, that he could do all of those things through Christ who strengthened him. 1 Timothy 6, 9 says, Those who long to be rich stumble into temptation and a trap, and many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. But you, as a person dedicated to God, keep away from all that. Instead, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faithfulness, love, endurance, and gentleness. The prosperity preachers are right in a way. Our desires are too small. We want circumstances and things rather than what God actually offers. Himself. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock. And the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened.